Hello and welcome to our PFP podcast concerning tax investigations in the digital age. This is a follow-up to a webinar presented by Dominic Arnold, who's the tax investigations partner at Moore Stevens. And throughout the webinar, we covered a, a great deal of uh, information in many different areas. So firstly, I'd like to welcome Dominic. Hi, Kevin. And in our webinar, Dominic, we mentioned throughout, obviously, with the digital age and how it how we're all being affected. How important do you feel it is that agents are familiar with what's happening digitally with HMRC and how it affects their clients? I think it's hugely important, Kevin, that, that agents realise that the digital agenda at HMRC is really transforming the way investigations are, are, are being selected and being worked. And, and we're going to see a lot more of that in, in the future. So it's re really important that, that agents advisors stay close to what's happening with HMRC so they understand um, when they get an intervention on their clients from HMRC what it means uh, and, and how they need to deal with it. So briefly what do you think are the main developments of the digital age? I, I think first and foremost Kevin um, the ability of HMRC to collect uh, huge amounts of data about individuals about businesses and use that information to select its compliance cases, its investigation cases. That, that's the game changer. They've always had the ability to collect huge amounts of data, even going back 10 or 20 years. They always, they, they've always had lots of information. What they've not been able to do is harness that information and really bring it together quickly, efficiently, in most cases accurately, to, to pinpoint specific risk. Okay, so you mentioned uh, throughout your webinar the Connect system. Perhaps you can um, expand a little bit on what the Connect IT system is from HMRC and what is actually on it. Okay, so the Connect system has been with HMRC for, for a number of years, developed by BAE Systems for a cost of around £80 million. It's really at the heart of the, the digital investigation um, space for HMRC. This is how it holds vast quantities of data and how it um, uses that data to, to, to select the actual cases. So what goes into um, Connect and how they use Connect is, is, is hugely important for the investigation process. So how many lines of information are on the Connect system? Something in the region of 22 billion lines of data um, are held and, and that's probably being increased on a daily basis. And you mentioned in the webinar that over 80% of new inquiries are launched through the Connect system, both corporate and individuals. Yeah. But what about the rest? What does the selection criteria exist for, for outside of the Connect system? Well, it depends what type of intervention or investigation is being considered. Obviously, in the space of fraud or criminal investigations, um, although a lot of the data behind that might be extracted from Connect, the actual decision to investigate or prosecute is still largely uh, undertaken by, by human beings um, and there'll be other interventions that, that are, are driven by manual processes ra rather than the system itself. You know, one of the criticisms that are sometimes levied at HMRC is the inconsistencies in their approach to uh, compliance checks. Do you think the digital age is going to make that better or worse? Well, it has the ability to make it better, but um, if I'm being realistic, I, I think it's probably going to get worse before it gets better because already we've seen 
um, a, a fair number of inquiries that on, on a risk basis probably shouldn't have been investigated in the first place. So I think we're, we're going to see a bit of pain um, with, with the way that, that the revenue selects their cases. They don't have a minimum threshold for investigation. So we can see cases that literally are inquiring about, you know, a few tens and hundreds of pounds through through to cases where many hundreds of thousands of pounds um, are, are being challenged. So we've mentioned uh, several times throughout the webinar and indeed so far on our podcast about the risk of selection. So we had a number of queries registered for this, uh, one of which concerned about the risk selection procedures for unannounced visits because these seem to be more um, industry-based rather than yeah. through the Connect system. Yeah, I think where we've seen the biggest increase possibly in unannounced visits is for um, what we call cross tax inquiries, so where the revenue are looking at perhaps the, the business taxes as well as the VAT and the PAYE. PAYE visits are um, you know, another area where HMRC seems to prefer um, the model of, of just turning up unannounced or at least giving very short notice to the trader. And, and sometimes that can be sector specific. I recall a year or so ago um, a team um, uh, of, of tax uh, officials going out to a certain um, uh, geographical area and literally going into every hotel uh, in that area and obviously with the intention of, of catching the, the business owner on the hop so to speak in order to, to find out whether there are any problems perhaps people that, that weren't being recorded on the payroll etc. You know, you mentioned people not recording on the payroll. One question we did have was whether or not HMRC had the right to interview staff, either at an unannounced visit or at a page earn or even perhaps a VAT check. Okay. I think the general point here is that HMRC, um, unless it's operating um, under a, a warrant of, of the court, generally cannot compel um, individuals to to answer their questions uh, and that goes for employees as well as the business owners so in, in terms of an inspection HMRC officials should make it very clear um, that um, there is no obligation for people uh, to be interviewed or to answer questions uh, unless as I say exceptionally um, the matter is being dealt with uh, as a criminal one uh, and, and trust me most people would, would know that that's the situation you know, you mentioned also whilst discussing Connect that there was information from overseas countries being yeah. exchanged. What sources of information are being actually exchanged with overseas territories and how many overseas territories are now within the common reporting standard? So within the common reporting standard, there are just over 100 um, countries that have signed up for automatic exchange of information. Around half of those uh, will have already uh, reported in 2017 the so-called early adopters, uh, and then the other half will, will be reporting uh, by the end of September 2018. The information is, uh, depends on, on, on the entity, the individual, etc., but, but by and large it's information about income within accounts, balance on those accounts, detail of the account holder, that, that kind of basic information. Okay, so when they're getting details of bank accounts, for example, both onshore and offshore, what sort of information do they actually get from the banks? And presumably names, addresses, what about transactional details going through the accounts or, no. or even the balances? Okay, so balances, yes. Transactional information, generally no. Um, HMRC would have to go 
back to to a bank to get to get more transactional information so at the moment it literally just is uh, any interest or, or investment sold in the account capital gains etc balances and, and and details of the, the holder of the account who of course must have a tie to the UK the, the bank in the foreign jurisdiction must reasonably believe that the individual is is UK tax resident okay so when they're receiving details of the bank interest um, and the account balances I've heard previously from a former head of specialist investigations that they only receive details of bank balances where there is interest paid on the account is that still the same uh, correct yeah 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 so if someone puts money, undeclared money, in a bank account earning zero interest... It generally won't be yeah, reportable. It won't be reportable, though yeah. that's not something we're suggesting as not possible tax planning. Not at all. So that's all on the Connect IT system. So how often is the Connect IT system wrong with 22 billion pieces of information on it? Well, that would be a good question to ask HMRC, but, but in practice um, I've seen that it can be wrong. Uh, I think that's the point, that data can um, uh, be incorrect. The kinds of errors that I see are, are generally where information is being attributed to the wrong person, for example. So someone with a very uh, common name or a similar name, uh, data can, can inadvertently find its way uh, uh, to, to that person. And that, that can be quite a significant problem if, if HMRC believe that person has received, received that income. Okay, so as, as an aside to that, what should an agent do if they become aware that clients have underpaid tax? Well, I think first of all, they need to double check as to what their professional obligations are. Um, for, for, for most practitioners, that will be the professional conduct in relation to taxation. So they need to consult that in terms of what they need to do. They may have other anti-money laundering obligations that they need to fulfill. But in terms of regularising the position, the, the, the message is clear. They need to take early and, and specialist advice on what their client ought to do in, in order to regularise uh, their position. So if a client, you become aware or an agent becomes yep. aware and the client says, well actually I don't want to do anything about it, what are the options? Well in simple terms the professional rules won't allow um, accountants to continue to act for a client who refuses to disclose. So I think if you consult those rules what on that guidance what you'll find is that very quickly um, you and your client will be parting company. Um, if the client um, uh, decides to do the right thing, um, then obviously it's just a question of deciding, uh, going forward, what the best thing to do is in terms of sorting the position out with HMRC. Okay. So going back to the contents of the webinar itself, then we mentioned risk selection throughout. Yeah. Um, and we did have a query from one of our listeners concerning uh, HMRC actually reading the additional information box on tax returns. Was. It's commonly thought, and it may be correct or incorrect, that HMRC don't actually read the additional information box when risk assessing a case for inquiry, but only subsequent to it being selected. What's your feeling on that? Well, I think that's probably true. I mean, bearing in mind that um, um, individual inspectors don't read the, you know, paper tax returns, although they do exist, they're very, very rare. So when they're doing their selection work or when Connect's doing it, um, it, it it requires them to actually look at the white space to understand the information. I think in certain cases they do, in many cases they don't. If you ask me the question, should people continue to put white space entries on, then the answer is yes, because ultimately 
what you put on the tax return may uh, be of assistance in the future if the revenue missed the inquiry window and then seek to rely on their discovery powers. If full and complete disclosure has been made uh, on the return, then the chances of the revenue being able to discover uh, are, are significantly diminished. Now, one of our listeners commented that they've seen a number of not actual inquiries as such, but simply demands for extra tax being issued from HMRC. So they weren't necessarily saying, we believe you've received this benefit, have you? And you are discuss either you have or you haven't. What they were saying is, we believe you've received this benefit, your new tax bill is X. If you don't believe us, you've got 30 days to appeal. Is this something that you've seen much of? And is, is this something you think we can look forward to more of in this digital age with more automated and simplified approaches? Yeah, it's a worrying trend. And I, I do think we are going to see more of this. And I think it's driven by the fact that HMRC, if it believes it has cast iron data to show that your tax return is wrong, then it's it's almost a shoot now, ask questions later scenario. Here's a bill, we've got the data. Yes, it conflicts with yours, but you know, you have an appeal right, hopefully, um, to, to come back to us. But I, I don't think they will necessarily, in all circumstances, be asking questions first. We, which, as I say, is a worrying trend. One of our listeners also commented whether or not we were, or we should be protected by the Data Protection Act against various institutions issuing HMRC with information. Yeah, unfortunately, HMRC um, has quite significant statutory powers, which will, in almost all circumstances, override um, any other domestic legislation with regards to the protection of data. So. There are specific um, uh, rules in place in terms of HMRC getting information from banks, for example, uh, and generally speaking, um, information from, from banks in terms of, I'm not talking about the interest, etc., but if they go for any more information, generally speaking, they have to go to an independent tax tribunal to get authority, uh, and that's based on a very long-standing agreement between the Revenue and the British Bankers Association. Okay, thank you. Um, one of our listeners also commented on the number of desk-based compliance checks that we're now seeing. Do you feel this is something we're going to see more of? Absolutely. I mean, the reality is that the revenue want to go down to something like 13 um, regional centres to, 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 uh, to, to encompass all of its staff in about 10 years' time. So going down from around... 170 current offices to 13. The reality is that they, they cannot simply um, go out um, and do a lot more uh, field-based compliance if, if, if they're stuck in you know uh, large office buildings with, with thousands of people in. They, they, I suspect, won't necessarily have the budget to allow their staff to, to, to go around and um, do these investigations face-to-face. Now, they're also establishing a, a trust register. Perhaps you could let us have some information exactly what is that trust, trust register, what should be on it, how should you register, who should register? Well, the trust register has come about because of specific EU legislation which has required the UK and indeed all uh, EU member states to, to have a trust register. Um, the UK, uh, I think, admittedly came at this very late and in fact uh, it's only been in the last couple of months that the revenue has put in place the systems in order for trustees, who are the, um, the people that have to uh, make the registration, there's a vast uh, 
array of information that they potentially have to provide. Um, the key thing is that the, the obligation to, to register depends on whether or not the, the trust has a UK tax liability. So that might be a UK-based trust, it might be a non-UK-based trust, but the key thing is does it, does it have a UK tax liability? If it does, it's likely to have to provide details um, of, of the trust deed, of the settlers, of the beneficiaries, the protector, and, and further financial information um, to HMRC. The process of registration is online. Um, HMRC haven't unfortunately pre-populated details that they already have about certain trusts, so it's a kind of start again type process. Um, uh, but they have, uh, I believe, extended the uh, compliance date for, for first registration of trusts um, to, to January 2018. Okay. You also mentioned in your webinar the terms phantoms and zappers. Perhaps you could expand on what exactly they are. Yeah, so phantom, phantomware and, and zappers are either software or hardware devices um, which, which are used to manipulate data in cash registers. Um, and these have been uh, developed originally, actually, as, as tools uh, for, for compliant taxpayers. But unfortunately, uh, across the world, businesses have been using them to manipulate their data and, and reduce the amount of tax that they pay. Um, there is no evidence that they are particularly prevalent in the UK, but I think it's unrealistic to think that they're not being used uh, by traders. Um, and it's very hard for HMRC to spot whether this software, whether these devices are being used because they're almost untraceable. Now, we mentioned in the webinar also about revenue looking to increase the number of prosecutions that they're making. Yeah. So what sort of things do HMRC look for when they're considering that whether or not they'll prosecute? Well, the first thing to say is that the revenue has a selective prosecution policy. In other words, it doesn't prosecute everybody um, that is guilty of tax evasion. I think if, if it did, then we'd probably have to build quite a few more prisons to, to house everybody. Typical things that they will look at... Um, if there is any element of concealment or, or deliberate fraud on, on behalf of the taxpayer, you know, they're, they're things that they look at very critically. Professionals, if it's a tax fraud committed by a professional, be it a lawyer, an accountant, a medical professional or, or whatever, that heightens the risk of, of prosecution significantly. Obviously, if the amounts are involved, uh, then that, that can be a factor. And also people who are effectively stealing from the tax systems of organized criminals that are setting up fake businesses or whatever in order to steal VAT repayments or, or income tax repayments you know th those sorts of people are almost not negotiable they will they will always be prosecuted by HMRC. We also mentioned the Bank of England has estimated was it something like 59 billion pounds of cash was uh, what's the term you used? Uh, well, they, they didn't know where it was. They didn't know where it was, yes. They don't know where it is. Um, do you think this is something that they're connecting to the tax gap? Absolutely. HMRC had a consultation a year or so ago, a call for evidence about the cash economy. I think you know everybody knows that cash is synonymous, unfortunately, with money laundering and with tax, eva tax evasion. So um, the, the Bank of England 
you know, recognise that a, a lot of this cash, this missing 59 billion, is simply circulating in the economy. It's not ever touching uh, bank accounts and being part of the formal economy. They're losing out because um, uh, the, the money isn't in the banking system. But more critically, HMRC is likely to be losing out on, on, the, on the associated tax revenue. Okay, thank you. Uh, lastly, you mentioned a number of countries in your webinars that you know that there seem to be large sums of money coming out or being discovered as a result of tax evasion, um, and people have clearly been escaping, or apparently been escaping, with paying tax for years. So my question to you, lastly, Dominic, is if you didn't live in the UK, <laughs> what country would you choose to live in, and why? Well, I think I think it would have to be a, a warm country, Kevin. One with many golf courses, splendid golf courses, uh, and one with a uh, relatively stable uh, financial and tax systems, and, and somewhere that's close to home. So uh, maybe somewhere like Spain, Kevin. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. Well, thank you very much for listening into our podcast. I hope you found that useful. Uh, and thank you again to Dominic for taking part today and leading the podcast. This will be a number of a series of podcasts that we listen to, and I hope you'll take the opportunity to listen to a number of our others as well. So I wish you a good day and hope to speak to you again soon. Bye-bye. Thank you.